This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. Welcome to the Big Ed Idea Podcast, a podcast for those looking to change the world through education. Each week, we bring you a new idea, however big or bold it is, that has the potential to disrupt, upheave, or remix education. Now here's your host, our dad, Ryan Scott. Welcome back, Big Ed Idea listeners. Welcome to Season three of the Big Ed Idea podcast. It is crazy to me to think that we are on our third uh, trip around the sun with this whole thing. And uh, it's even crazier that I started this for my 40th birthday um, and it's still rolling around. And, you know, before I introduce this guest, I just have to, uh, I have to lay down a disclaimer. So, you know, I'm I'm a dad of four daughters and, you know, I'm probably not supposed to say this, but I'd say every parent probably has a favorite child. Um, and I'm telling you, like, this lady I'm getting ready to interview that you are getting ready to meet is probably going to be on my top five guests um, of all time of the Big Ed Idea. I am fanning out. Um, I'm a fanboy of this young lady. I had the chance to check out one of her books um, over break and read it in a week. It was so just awesome to me. Um, so without further ado, I want to rec- I want to introduce Dr. Lori DeSottle. Uh, she is a mom, a wife, a yoga enthusiast, and currently she is the assistant professor at Butler University in Indianapolis, Indiana. And she is the author of five books, including her newest, Intentional Neuroplasticity, Our Educational Journey Towards Post-Traumatic Growth. So without further ado, uh, Lori, welcome to the Big Ed Idea Podcast. Brian, thank you so much. And what a what a kind and um, yeah, just a really kind, affirming introduction. So thank you for having me. Yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, congratulations. This is the third year. It is the third year. Yeah, it was one of those, um, you know, COVID was really wonky, was really weird, Um I got connected with some pretty cool guys and gals through um, social media, and one of them challenged me to start a podcast. And so, yeah, for my 40th birthday, um, there were three things that I wanted to do. I wanted to start a podcast, which I did. Um, I wanted to write a book, which I did. And then I took a 40-mile hike to celebrate my 40th birthday in Southern Illinois. So, yeah, it was a good year. Wow, that's wonderful. Yeah. Okay. So Dr. Lori, I, I, I know, I know a lot about you, um, but my listeners don't somehow they may not um, guys, if you're out there and you, you know, anything about, um, you know, cognitive science or neuroscience or um, trauma, you definitely are going to be in for a treat with this one. So, because Lori knows everything there is about that type of stuff. And so um, before we jump into all of that stuff. I always like to model for our guests just that idea of connections before content. Um, 
it's just so vitally important that we get to know our people. And so I'm going to lead us with three words that describe life at the Scott household right now. Um, those words are editing, sickness, and new semester. Um, so editing, yeah. So I'm in the editing stage of this book. Um, hopefully in May, um, my book, which centers around hope theory and um, how schools can intentionally raise the hope coefficient of their students. Um, I'm in that editing stage, which is, man, I thought writing the book was hard. Editing might even be a little bit harder. Um, my second word is sickness. And yeah, with four kids, somebody is always sick. And, and literally for like the last three weeks, there's been flu, there's been stomach bug, there's been strep throat. Um, thankfully, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But somebody's always sick at my house. And then the last is tomorrow we start our new semester at AIS. And so I'm super excited to get back and see my kids and find out how the break was and reconnect with them. And um, so, yeah, that's my three words. Miss Lori, what are your words? So I think right now I was thinking about this. <clears throat> Change is one of them. And perspective is another one and family. And um, so I think that, um, and I really didn't say them in any order, um, but change, a lot of change right now um, in my life personally and professionally. And so that is, I'm grateful for that change. Um, and then perspective is really what drives me. It's my intention almost to every year. I think about an intentional word and, um, and I think about my perspective, um, you know, in the classroom, my perspective in our home and how that can really impact my behavior and my feelings and my nervous system. That's exactly and, right. Yeah. And then family, um, you know, we just had all of our, um, adult children home. And, um, and so it was a wonderful, very cold across the country. I know yeah, that for um, sure. Cold <laughs> holiday. Yeah. So we were all snuggled in and, and, um, yeah, so it's, you know, lots of change in our family. I'm going to be, um, a mother-in-law to my new son-in-law in September. And then oh, I'm congratulations. Be grand for the first time, my middle daughter, even better pregnant. So yeah, we're just, it's all good. It is all good. That's awesome. Um, okay, so the next section is called the two for two. And so I've got two getting to know you questions. Um, just so we know who this Dr. Lori is a little bit more before we dive into um, you know, the meat of our of our episode. And so my first question, Lori, is I think you kind of touched on this. Um, do you have a word, one word for 2023? It it really would be perception or perspective. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, mine this year is present. Um, I am going to try very hard to be more present um, as somebody that is, I find it very hard to relax. And so it's very hard to be where my feet are sometimes because I'm always thinking about something. Um, and so I'm going to try and be very intentional this year about being present with those people that that are in the same room as me. I love that. Yeah. And so my second question, um, 
when was the last time that you laughed uncontrollably? Well, I know it was with my two daughters and it was recent. <laughs> it was probably in the last week because that is one of the things that we love to do. The three of us, um, we just, yeah, we just, we do a lot of laughing, a lot of hard laughing. So I love that question too. And that's, yeah, that's what we did. Okay. Awesome. Last night we had a, you know, we're recording this on uh, January 1st. So last night we had a new year's Eve party. Um, and we played some game with, with some adults, probably not super G rated, but it was hilarious. We laughed like it's one of those where the next day your stomach hurts from laughing so yeah. hard. Um, but you know, I needed that. We needed that. So it was, it was nice. Oh, that's, I love that. Yeah. Well, Ryan, my questions for you. Um, so what is your most valuable or favorite aspect of your work right now in education? Okay. My, okay. So valuable or favorite? Or valued. Yeah. Valued, favorite. What brings you joy? Okay. Um, so my three, and I'm going to say this, like I'm a big believer um, as an administrator, my job is not to have all the answers for me. My job is to make um, an environment where my students, staff and families feel valued, seen and heard every day. Um, and so to me, I love doing that. Um, I'm a big relationship guy. I think it everything starts and stops with relationships. And so to me, um, the most valuable thing right now, um, cause I'm in a new building. I've only been there about six months and it's, so it's, it's just letting my people know that they can trust me. Um, letting my students know that I'm going to go to bat for them. Um, letting my students know, like I tell them every day, I love you, but I love you so much. I'm going to hold you accountable. Um, so yeah, I would say, yeah, I'd say, I hope, I hope that answered that question. I love that. I love that. Thank and you. then the second, the second question, um, I was kind of debating, but what, since it's been the holiday break, um, what is your favorite movie of all time? Ooh, my favorite movie of all time. Okay. So I'll tell you my favorite Christmas movie of all time, which I watch every Christmas Eve is uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Um, that's my tradition. I have a glass of bourbon after everybody goes to bed and I watch It's a Wonderful Life and reminisce on the last year. Um, but probably my favorite movie of all time. You're going to laugh at this. And, and and I would say there's probably some people I out there that probably have never even heard of this, but it's bed knobs and broomsticks. It's an old Disney movie with uh, Angela Lansbury, I think. Oh my um, gosh, it's been a while, but I do, I think I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I love it. And my girls get tired of it because every like three weeks I'm like, let's watch bed knobs and broomsticks again. And they're all like, uh, but that's so funny. Yeah. That's my favorite movie. Okay. So Miss Lori, now that you know me a little bit more and I know you a little bit more, um, I am super interested. And one of my favorite questions to always ask is how education finds um, folks. So how, how did education find uh, Dr. Lori? Hmm. Well, um, I, I feel like it was kind of a mutual process. <laughs> and um, 
And so my very first role in education was a self-contained classroom teacher with children that were given the classification of emotionally disturbed. Absolutely, yeah. Um, be behavior disordered. Yeah, um, right. Children also had the classification of um, autism. And um, at that time, probably there was comorbidity with specific learning disabilities. But I always saw these behaviors, even as a young teacher, I just thought there's so much I'm missing. And I was curious and I was inspired because I saw these brilliant students, these children and youth that were given these labels that um, were really a detriment to their identity. <clears throat> and this was in the late 80s and early 90s. So um, that's what drew me and has really driven the work that I'm doing today. I'll tell you, uh, Lori, those are my favorite students, the ones that just don't know how awesome they are. Um, one thing I'm extreme, extremely adamant about is that some of our most challenging kids have the capability to be extremely successful um, just because they have had to overcome so much. Um, the ones you know that I really worry about in schools are those students that that don't ever have to struggle and don't um, ever know what it feels like to fail. And and I I'm a firm believer if we can get some of these. Um, challenging students to really understand like, you know, like uh, I think it was Malcolm Gladwell who talked about the dyslexia and the CEOs who had dyslexia and the fact that they got used to failure. And so failure was no longer um, something that, that, that scared them. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I love those students. Those are the best. Those are the ones I always gravitate towards. That's awesome. So, okay. So how long have you been in education? Oh my gosh, over 30 years. And okay. I taught, yeah, I taught um, that, I, I taught in the um, self-contained classroom for seven years. And, um, and then I began to really look at the family system, this, just the community system so my um, colleague and I opened up Indianapolis Counseling Center, where we worked with children and families that were experiencing school-related ch challenges. And then um, I was at Methodist Hospital on the Adolescent Psychiatric Unit, working again with families and with the medical staff in creating that bridge when our youth were discharged how do we help them to re-enter and reintegrate back in the classroom? Very cool. So, very, very cool. Yeah, that it just led to lots of that the research and yeah, just kept and all of that, that stuff. Direction. And all of yeah. that stuff. Okay, so okay. So you've been in for 30 years. Um there has been substantial changes in that time, um, both educationally, um, science. Um, the way we view behavior, the way we view um, the brain. Um, and so you've seen a lot. So what would you say is a problem in education that your idea really hopes to, to I guess, alleviate? So 
and I don't mean to oversimplify, but just for the short period of time together, we traditionally have misunderstood behaviors. Yeah. A behavior is only a signal. Yep. It is only an indicator. It is all about our physiology. It is all about the nervous system. And so um, this is something that with um, growing research, the application of the research and community awareness, I really am hopeful that we can begin to discipline in a very different way, that we can address the racism in our schools as well, because we know across the country, our black and brown and special education students um, are disciplined in ways that over-identify and disproportionately punish. And so um, this has been going on for way too long. And, um, and we really misunderstand how trauma and significant adversity literally change the developing nervous system. Our neurobiology begins to take shape from our lived experiences. And so when we have grown up in an environment where there is chronic unpredictability, then we are unable to um, find that state of um, homeostasis, that balance in our nervous system <clears throat> where we feel some steadiness, where we feel some groundedness. And so what happens is that the child or the adolescent in a fight flight or a shutdown state, autonomic state, um, oftentimes shows behaviors that we are unintentionally reactivating the stress response system and re-traumatizing kids by the way we discipline in our schools. The second issue <clears throat> to this is that I also feel that there is a very significant gap in higher leadership and what's happening on the ground level. So there, and I'm seeing this across the country and really across the world. And so, you know, an administrator of a school, um, you know, that's the, the staff, that's the classroom of the administrator, but an administrator can do so much. And unless that higher leadership is on board and we are having these authentic conversations and we are <clears throat> addressing the challenges in a way where everyone is experiencing, even during conflict, um, a sense of felt safety, then um, that, that's, that those are kind of layered. So those are the challenges I see that are really very interconnected. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So just to reflect on what you're saying, on what you're saying, um, a lot. And, and what I what I really love about your work, um, it really goes to that Maslow's before blooms. Um, I know that's that little hashtag or something that's been out on social media for so long. And a lot of what you say really makes sense when you start to think of of Maslow's and you start to think of um students in that light instead of just that students are there to to get an academic um yeah yeah students are just if students are just in the school for academics um that's one thing but like you're saying um before students can even get to the academics we have to address 
the other issues. You know what I mean? Well, the yeah, other, and, the and, other elephants. Yeah. And, and what we, what, and I, and I think this is really important to share, um, not, not just share in this podcast, but this is the work that I'm doing everywhere. And that is, if you cannot access the cortex, then um, you can't learn. And yeah. so many of our kids are coming in to school, carrying in, um, you know, pain. And they're carrying in a stress response system that is distorted. And so it, the, the way someone looks at them, the way something smells, a door slamming, dripping water, um, the piece of clothing, uh, the tone of someone's voice can literally throw a child or an adolescent into um, a very, what we would call a disruptive, oppositional, defiant, aggressive um, behavior, but and again, I'm not excusing the behavior, but we 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 cannot continue to do what we've done because it's the same student every week. That's you exactly. know, like I mean, it's not a whole new group of kids that are getting office referrals and class referrals every week. These are the same kids that are in the office, and so um, that's that's a challenge. Yeah, you're exactly right, and and we talked. Uh, before I hit the record button, I'm at an alternative setting. And so these students have literally had um, 10 years of tra- of traditional discipline and yeah. it didn't work. Um, and so in my building, I'm very adamant. I try to do something different. Um, I'm a firm believer. It's the, it's the conversations, not the consequences that change behavior. And so I try really hard to have conversations with these students, um, try to find out the why and then hook them up with one of our social workers or, or some of our therapists, um, get them to use the, the, um, give them hot passes so they can go to the self reg room when they start to identify those triggers, um, and so I just, you know, again, I love the work that you're doing because it makes sense to me. Um, it, it views a child as more than just a test score. Um, so yeah, thank you for that. Um, so, okay. If you were to point to, so if you were to say what your big idea is, throw it out there. What is your big ed idea? Well, so I think my big, no, I think my big ed idea is getting out in front of the behavior Yeah. for over 100 years. We, as parents, we, as teachers, we, as administrators, any, any of us who sit beside children and youth, um, the way that we think about discipline is always reactive, Yeah. you know, and we're so concerned about the consequence. And so we need to really redefine discipline and get out in front of the behavior. So what do I mean by that? That happens through our procedures. And this is what the new book is also about. It happens through our routines. It happens in our bell work. It happens. How do you exit a class? How do you begin a class? Um, Are we tapping in and listening to the sensations of the nervous system? So, we are so cognitive heavy in the Western part of the world and in education. We, we talk, we have conversations, we lecture, we nag, we threaten, um, we use rewards. You know, we're just talk, 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 talk. And what we don't understand is that the language of the body is sensation. Yeah. Um, and if we want to become fluent in that language, then we've got to begin to help our children to identify, you know, when you're angry, 
How does your head feel? Are your hands hot? Are you sweating? Um, do you feel tightness in your chest? Can you take or not take a deep breath? And so my big idea is that it's using the breath and movement and art and texture and using those not as adding on to what teachers are already doing, but it's already there. It's a part of our procedures. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Uh, one of the things I'm super really and I love, I love educational psychology because I've, I really feel like in schools we put, and sorry, sorry, anybody, if this offends anybody, but I think we put too much emphasis on pedagogy sometimes and not enough on the psychology in the classroom. Um, it, what you're saying really, really reminds me a lot of Daniel Pink's uh, book drive Um in regards to extrinsic versus intrinsic motivation. Um, and what I have found is that a lot of those kids like you're talking about that bring in that trauma, they're just, they're, they're not super intrinsic, intrinsically motivated. Um, I, I feel like sometimes they have a higher um, apt to, how am I going to say this? I think sometimes they have more learned hopelessness because of things that they have encountered and um what your work kind of helps me to i guess explain is that if a kid can figure out how to deal with their trauma then that opens up so many more doors and to me when they can control those not control those when they can identify them and then work through them you're going to see the academics just through the roof Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I think we are also, I agree with that, but, you know, we have to be exposed to thousands of moments of being co-regulated yeah. by a trusting other before we can learn how to emotionally regulate our own nervous system. And so, you know, we expect, you know, our five and six and seven and eight, and nine and 10 year olds to know how to use a fidget. Yeah. Or know how to go to an emotional regulation room. You know, okay, go to the emotional regulation, you know, go to the sensory room and then come back when you're ready. And and so one of the things that, um, you know, and Dr. Louis Casalino talks about this in his research and Dan Siegel and Alan Short has a lot of work in attachment. And that is co-regulation is not just a trendy word right now. It really is our biological imperative. We are social organs. And, and we can't survive without each other. And so a, a significant part of our physiology is that social. Um, I mean, it is our social physiology that, so the relationship piece is not a warm, fuzzy extra. I mean, we, we it must, yeah, it is, it is inherent and it is a significant aspect of uh, nervous system development. Yeah. Yeah. My work with uh, hope theory, one thing that I've really um, I've been I've been reading a lot about and, and, and I'm really enjoying reading a lot about is it's all about nurturing relationships. Um, the kids with the highest hope um, always have nurturing relationships. Um, something that really struck me in your connections um, over compliance before compliance book, um, you talk a about in there about a baby in the womb and if the mother is stressed out the bait that affects the baby because of the cortisol levels 
in in the system and that just that blew my mind um because it's that nurturing from womb on you know that nurturing relationship yeah yeah absolutely and 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 again this is this won't be new to you know other people but um you know we know that intergenerational trauma um you know can be traced and tracked now for generations if not more um i think that that's you know i think we're looking at many more generations but you know our adverse childhood experiences may have started with our great grandparents sure. or great great grandparents and 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 i that kind of sounds like oh my gosh well you know how, how can i you know attune to that or how can i change that but the awareness is key and and that's what i you know to be aware of how these adversities that more often than not you don't remember um, and, and that's a whole nother uh, podcast for us because the body before three and a half years of age holds memory, I'm sorry, the nervous system before three and a half years of age holds memory in the body. It is below consciousness. Um, it is sometimes held through sensation and sometimes visually and in implicit memory doesn't feel like a memory. And that's why we can get triggered and think, what just happened? You know, why did that look on that person's face? Or why did their tone of voice just throw me? Or what is up with that shirt that this person's wearing? It just, it just really, it made my hair stand on end. And so what we un understand now, or that red car driving across the parking lot, is that so much of the memory that occurs when the brain is the stickiest is not verbal, cognitive, or explicit declarative memory. It is what we know as body memory. And we're punishing students who are getting activated by a body memory. And so we've got to be able to meet them where they are. Again, I'm not excusing behavior, but we misunderstand what's underneath that behavior. Yeah. Yeah. I like to say we can, the, 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 the trauma doesn't excuse it, but it explains it, mm -hmm. you know, and trauma is ubiquitous, but it's also very personal. Sure. And I love um, what I think it's Dr. Gabor Mate. He says, trauma is not what happens to you. It's what happens inside of you. Right. 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 Okay. Okay. So I'm wondering, cause I've had some, there's some educators I know that are out there listening and, and, and I know um, we all have students in, in our classrooms that bring some heavy baggage into the room every day. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm just curious, could you tell maybe three things that my listeners can walk away from and, and maybe to help them tomorrow, um, with that student that might be, you know, that student that brings in a lot of trauma, maybe they have a lot of behavior issues in the classroom. And so what are three things that my listeners can do tomorrow to start helping that child? Well, and I certainly want to be very intentional with my response and not, okay. I don't want anyone to think that there is a solution or sure, a strategy sure, or sure. an algorithm. Um, and I am in the classroom. I have been for the last eight years. I have a course release from Butler. So two days a week. Um, I'm actually with middle school. Oh, cool. Year with seventh grade. 
And so everything I'm sharing with you, you know, how we're starting, but I think, I think how you started the program today, Ryan, you know, checking in with our yeah. students um, before we start teaching, you know, what are the three words that describe you this morning? Um, you know, maybe draw them, um, you know, what color are you today? What shape are you today? Um, if you could tell me how you're feeling today, what movie describes you? What song title? Um, so I think, you know, those, you know, really checking in with them. This is about, we call this bell work. Some people call it bell ringer, do now, but it's a part of our procedures. I off, I will we have all kinds of resources that we're giving to teachers and administrators that we've developed over the last few years that show nervous system check-ins, you know, where the kids can actually track, you know, if they're in fight flight, if they're in shutdown, um, you know, they can color code it. Um, so, you know, we're always checking in with their nervous system. We have a sensation word wall. So you draw your sensation, you know, maybe you came in feeling prickly, or teary, or tight, or you walked in feeling open. So, um, you know, heavy, numb, those very different language than feelings. And we have kids use lines and colors and shapes. Um, we, you know, give them opportunities on my website. We have regulatory practices. Those are all like free for educators and you can download them. And so kids can choose off a menu like three things that feel good to them, like grabbing that. a mint when they feel upset. Um, we journal, we art is very, movement is excellent. I mean, there's just, you know, but we, here's the, here is where it's so important. We implement these procedures on good days. We do not wait for a crisis. Sure. We teach our kids how to use these resources. So, you know, we, they, so that they are used to it. So when they come in, they know that Dr. Lori might have an avocado seed in the front of the room and it's covered with a wash rag, or they know that I might have two clues and there's going to be an object underneath a cloth um, that they're going to have to guess. And I'll tie it into the brain, the nervous system, or sometimes I'll tie it in to the content that we're learning. Very cool. Okay. Um, man, I tell you, I I was going to say this in the very beginning, but your book, Connections Over Compliance, just spoke to my soul. Like, I just want you to know, like, I have been waiting to read a book like that for so long. Um, sometimes as an assistant principal, when you deal with the discipline, um, and this is not to, to 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 speak despairingly about anybody, but sometimes it's almost like teachers want blood for these students when they get, you know, whenever there's a behavior and they get sent to my office. Right. Um, and so it just really speaks to me because there's there are several things that I'm really passionate about. One is ACE, ACE scores, another's trauma um, and behavior. Um, but a question that I have that I've been mean, wanting to ask you, do you feel like we are we are going away from Skinner's definition of behavior and behaviorism? And does your work kind of take us in a different direction? Does that make sense? Well, it does. And so the work that I'm doing and that I've cultivated and we're all doing 
when we talk about applied educational neuroscience is the opposite really yeah. of behaviorism. Yeah. Um, it's getting underneath the behavior. It is understanding deeply how the nervous system is being impacted by um, our external world, our relational world and our internal world. And, um, and this year, this is, I should say this past semester, being back in the classroom as I am. And last year, I would say this is this as well. I am seeing many adults move into autopilot. We are reverting back into I agree. these behavioral. I agree. Um, oh my God, I feel out of control. They're not saying that, but that's what's underneath their nervous system, system is I've got 30 kids to teach. I can't do this. I need this kid out. I need them out now. And I understand that. I taught some of the most troubling behaviors for almost eight years. And I get it, but we've got to look at our discipline data. Yeah. We have to understand that we now know so much more than we did a decade ago. And that this science can inform practices that are not just going or opting for compliance or obedience when we are intentional with these practices through applied educational neuroscience we get the sustainable behavioral change along with well-being social and emotional well-being so it's but it's a process yeah. and it takes time it just and that is where we as educators we get impatient we want to fix it. We want it to be better. You know, we want the problem solved and it's hard. Extremely hard. You're exactly right. And, yeah. and I, and I don't know if you have data to back this up, but I feel like there are more and more kids coming into our building with buildings with trauma. Um, Absolutely. you know, I, and I'll be honest, I was telling, I think I was telling you this when I started my book, I was really looking through the lens of poverty, um, knowing in Kentucky, 20% of our kids are in poverty and, and, and knowing the side effects of poverty. Um, but now I almost think it's even bigger than poverty. It's a trauma issue. And it just so happens, just so happens that children living in poverty probably have a higher, they're probably affected by trauma at higher rates if they live in poverty, but that doesn't mean it's just a poverty issue. Does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely does. And, and yeah, our young children are the poorest age group in the, in the country. I yeah. mean, you know, we've got 22% of our children, um, you know, or, or higher, I think it's higher than that, you yeah. know, living, living in significant poverty. But so, you know, as we begin to, you know, close I and mean, not close, but wind down our time together, we all need to remember too that this pandemic will have just um, decades, you know, of impact on our communities and our families and our students. And the chronic, unpredictable, toxic levels of stress that um, occurred. And and again, you're exactly right. If our communities that are already struggling with poverty and are marginalized even before the pandemic were hit a lot harder. And um, so this is just because the pandemic itself is lessening 
um, the impact and the effects on our families and our children and youth, um, we will continue to see. Um, and I think for quite a while. Yeah. So yeah. I feel as if we've, you know, we've got to really look at um, this is where we are now. You know, how can we move through this in a different way? And I think how we can move through this in a different way, Dr. Lori, is to do what you are saying. Um, how cool would that be for a student that comes into kindergarten um, somehow? You know, I don't know if we give them an A screener or, or some some way we identify that this that this student has significant trauma. And then over the next 12 to 13 years, this student gets these tools, learns how to deal with this stress, learns that it's okay to feel like this. And then by the time they graduate high school, they've got these tools that they can now go out into the world. And yeah, like what I see you doing, Lori, I think can interrupt generational poverty. I think can interrupt um, generational trauma. Um, but I think you're, you're true. We need to be very intentional about how we teach it in our school buildings. And I also want to add, Ryan, before we close, um, this work is about the adult nervous system before even the student. Yep. Um, and I think that that is something I'm learning every yeah. day. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I would have said that two years ago, but I am seeing, um, you know, many of our staff right now just feeling so overwhelmed, somewhat hopeless, fatigued, and just out of, just out of energy. And so um, we know how contagious emotions are. And so the bulk of this work right now um, is really about the adults in our buildings, because right. it will have that trickle down effect and it will have um, that contagion but will hopefully be very positively catching for our children and youth um, who we serve. Right. That's right. Yeah. When I, I'm going to say this and then I'm going to start to close us down, but I remember reading in your book about the, um, how contagious emotions were. And uh, it just really got me thinking, you know, about the fact that yes, negative emotions can be pretty, you know, can spread like wildfire, but on the flip side, the positive emotions can, can as well. Um, and so, okay, here's what I want. Here's, here's what we need. There are people out there that are listening tonight or this morning or whenever, and they want to connect with you and they want to know more about all of this, these amazing things that we've been talking about tonight. And so how can people connect with, um, Dr. Lori, find your books, um, maybe hear you speak, just Tell us. Well, I think probably the website, my website is the best place. And um, we're constantly updating. And But that is revelationsineducation.com. So it's plural. So www.revelationsineducation.com. Oh, wow. And um, the new book, um, Intentional Neuroplasticity, is... It's available right now for pre-ordering on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. And um, actually a couple of my colleagues um, sent me um, a message today saying that Amazon had contacted them and it's going to be, a, they're going to get it sooner than they thought. Oh, so please. that was really good news. Um, 
we have a lot of resources for administrators, parents, teachers, and the website is really a one-stop shop. I mean, there is everything, um, everything, you know, so just so many resources um, to put these practices into place. I will be checking it out and I'm going to make a promise to you, um, Dr. Lori, as soon as I get to a place where I'm in charge of a building, I'm putting your place, your stuff in what everything that we do from start of the day to the end of the day, like you've got it, you've got a disciple here that's ready to learn. Um, and so, yeah, I just want to tell you, thank you for coming on the big eight idea podcast. Thank you for being my uh, first guest for the third season. Um, I have learned a ton from you so far and I can't wait to get this next book and, and, and read and, and, and learn some more. Thank you, Ryan, so much. I'm so grateful for the work you're doing in the alternative school and your passion, um, you know, as we address the significant challenges that we are facing in our schools today. But I'm hopeful. Um, the brain has plasticity and um, and we're built to wobble, not to break. So that's a good thing. Ooh, hold on. We are built to wobble, not to break. Mm -hmm. That needs to be on a T-shirt. Oh, okay. Idea. <laughs> Love it. And I, I remember used to I used to do the wobble with my students. Yeah, so yeah. anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, Dr. Lori, thank you very much. Um, have a wonderful evening. Um thank you. yeah, thank Happy you. And I'm gonna leave my listeners with the words of my immortal grandfather, John Janoski, every day when I would go visit him before I would leave his house, he'd always say, Ryan. Until next time, I will see you in the funny paper. Thank you for hanging out with me here on the Big Ed Idea Podcast. My hope is that this would be a conversation, a meeting of the minds and a space for one person's vision to inspire the passions of another. However, none of this can happen without you. So let's be change agents together and build a better future. Please subscribe or reach out to me on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Come to the conversation with your passion and together let's build something awesome. Until next time, I'll see you in the funny paper. <laughs>